Hello and welcome to What Has Been Max and Murphy here on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. This is our first show in our first week without Jared Murphy, who we said a tearful goodbye to last week in case you missed the show. Uh, Jared, after 14 years at City Limits, uh, five years doing the Max and Murphy show, whether a podcaster here on WBAI for a few years, uh, and even longer in journalism overall, is moving on to nursing school, and he's just getting going there. So he has departed from City Limits, and he's departed here from Max and Murphy, and uh, I will be hosting solo for the foreseeable future, but with lots of great guests as usual and great topics on New York politics. So we're working on a new name for the show, and we'll have that going in the coming weeks. But for now, we're so focused on covering the elections that are imminent. It is June now. We are in the month of the primaries. It is all happening. We are now under three weeks from primary day. Early voting starts in under two weeks. Absentee ballots are already out. It is happening. The 2021 New York City elections are really underway now that the ballots have been sent out for those who've requested absentee ballots so far. And early voting will be starting June 12th through June 20th and primary day, June 22nd. So we're in the stretch run here. We've come through Memorial Day. We've turned the corner and a lot is happening. The New York City Comptroller primary is, of course, a citywide office for the city's chief fiscal officer, chief budget watchdog, an incredibly important position. And this race is not getting enough attention. We're going to spend a good long chunk of the show with two great guests breaking down the crowded and competitive Democratic primary for New York City Comptroller. I'll be joined in a little bit to do that by Nicole Gelinas of the Manhattan Institute and City Journal. She's also a columnist with the New York Post. She writes on urban economics and finance and has been, of course, following the Comptroller race more closely than most people. And Jeff Colton, a political reporter for City and State New York, who's been doing some of the best day-in, day-out coverage of the 2021 elections, mostly focused on the mayoral race, but Jeff is focused on everything and knows a great deal about all the races happening. So make sure you stick around for that discussion in a little bit on the city comptroller race. It's a crowded field of competitors in the Democratic primary and a really important election coming up. So we'll break down the candidates, the issues, and what to know about the city comptroller primary as we are here in the stretch run of that race as well. And now we are going to shift momentarily to discuss the other highly competitive citywide Democratic primary in the race that will be decided this month, and that is for New York City Comptroller. That is the city's chief fiscal officer, chief budget watchdog, the chief uh, pension fiduciary for the public pension funds, uh, it is the officer, uh, citywide officer tasked with auditing every city agency, at least some part of every city agency every four years, a very important office with citywide power. And of course, the city controller almost always winds up running for mayor, which is what is happening this year with Scott Stringer attempting to go from city controller to mayor of New York City here in this year's primary. So. As much of the attention has been on the mayoral race, not enough attention has been on the comptroller race, and that's what we're going to dedicate 
the rest of today's show to. I have two great guests coming on now to help us break it all down. If you haven't been paying attention yet, or even if you have a little bit, we're going to go through the key candidates and the issues and what voters should be thinking about as you try to make your choices. And of course, under ranked choice voting, you can rank up to five of these candidates if you are a Democratic primary voter. So joining me now are Nicole Gelinas, who's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a contributing editor of City Journal, and a columnist at the New York Post. Nicole writes about uh, economics and finance and much more, and so she is a great expert to talk about the controller race with. Hi, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me. And Jeff Colton is a political reporter for City and State New York who writes all sorts of good stuff for City and State, including the campaign season, campaign confidential newsletter. You can find that at City and State. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Controller? Oh, get me talking <laughs> about the mayor again. Come on. <laughs> we got we, we to gotta talk about the controller race because, as I was saying a minute ago, it's so important. It's getting not enough attention, and, uh, and that's what we've brought you two great guests on to, to discuss. So, um, Nicole, what are a couple – before we get into the candidates, and I'll let Jeff – mostly give a rundown of the candidates and sort of who they are and what they're what they're all about but before we get into the candidates what's in in your telling what's important about who's controller what are the most important sort of qualities that a city controller can have yeah thanks ben and and i'm glad you asked because i just got my my handy voter guide in the mail today and the the city's nonpartisan voter guide they describe the controller as the city's financial officer, but that's not exactly accurate. I mean, if you think about a corporation that has a CEO and then a CFO, they work together. They are not really meant to be checks and balances on each other. The, the CFO has no unilateral uh watchdog power over the CEO. If the CFO has budget advice, almost certainly the CEO is going to take it or the CFO will resign. So it's, it's really not, it's, it's, it's not quite comparable and I'm not like trying to nitpick about it. It's just that it's kind of important that people understand exactly what we're talking about here, which is this is really not a managerial role. The only thing the controller manages is, his or her staff, which is a big staff of about 800 or 900 people, uh, depending on the the headcount for the year. Uh, but it's almost entirely an advisory watchdog role. They, the controller staff puts out regular reports on the city budget, has to approve city contracts, but only for fraud. The controller can't disapprove a contract because he or she just thinks it's a bad contract. Uh, does an audit of city agencies every four years. Every single city audit has to be, or every single city agency has to be audited. But again, it's only an advisory audit. You know, the controller can say uh, particular government departments, uh, you know, Department of Homeless Services is doing a terrible job. The mayor can just entirely ignore that advice. And even with the city pension funds, Controller is only one of several trustees on the pensions funds. The state controller 
actually has a lot more managerial power over the state pension fund. So it's an important role. I mean, if the controller were to say the city budget is not balanced, I think people would give a lot of weight to that. But it is it is not something that gives you management experience to then go on and, and say, you know, you you managed something through a crisis and now you're that's that's not by itself right. a qualification for mayor. Jeff, the, the role of controller is uh, is sort of fairly political, right? It's it's managing everything Nicole just mentioned, but then sort of to Nicole's point, to get change, you have to sort of use the bully pulpit or you have to uh, know how to really, uh, you know, get the press to help drive the point home on your audits or uh, and then, you know, the controllers pretty much always wind up running for mayor, right? I mean, this is kind of a highly political job, both in, in some substance, but also as a as a bit of a, a training ground of sorts. Right. And it's it's you know, wrong to uh, to deny that fact that controllers end up running for mayor and, and that, uh, you know, frankly, it's in the city's interest to have a controller who is, uh, I guess, uh, ready for the big show, you know, in case mm-hmm. in case they do end up there. It's almost a, a training ground. But, you know, even even when they're still in the job of controller, it does give the the holder of the office a very formal platform and quite a microphone to formally criticize the mayor or other aspects of the city government. Uh, and, and I think that's a very important job. You know, it really can, you know, put their auditors on a certain job and that can uncover um, waste, fraud, abuse, whatever else. Right. Uh, I guess well, we've seen, we've seen Scott rate. Stringer take a particular interest in NYCHA, for example, right? And so... Uh, you know, he sort of hammered that home, but then there's been a, a good bit of reporting that, you know, he didn't really look at the NYPD too closely. So there's a lot of choices to be made. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I think the controllers are often pitching themselves as, you know, the individual who has the skills to, to do all of this. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways, it is a managerial role in that, you know, the, the controller's job is really to assign their professional staffers to do to do certain things uh, more so than you know allocate the the pension fund on their own or to uh, you know audit uh, personally these agencies. So I, I think that is a role, and it, it, it suggests that uh, yes, you know, political experience could help. It's it's not just a job for uh, somebody who's been you know managing funds on Wall Street or whatever. Although that certainly may help. Could have. Yeah. So let's talk about qualifications here. This is a debate in virtually every election for every office. But but, you know, the controller's office is a fairly highly technical office. Now we elect the office holder. It's a political job, as I was saying. But there there are a lot of technical aspects of it. Um, when you're looking at uh, a field of candidates and we'll get into the specifics of the field in just a minute. But, Nicole, when you're looking at a field of candidates for controller, what are the most important qualifications to you? I think independence from the mayor is pretty important. I mean, Mm -hmm. in contrast to the corporate world, this is supposed to be a checks and balance role. And Stringer has proven independent of the mayor. I mean, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, as, as Jeff mentioned, looking closely at NYCHA, doing several audits on the homeless services, dependence on hotels, shelters. 
you know, he's always been willing to say de Blasio's not doing a very good job on, on a lot of issues. But I think it goes beyond independence from the mayor and do you want someone who just takes an entirely different outlook to some of these sort of bread and butter uh, Democratic primary issues? You know, for example, they all say they want to safeguard the city's pension funds, and that's a good idea, but you never see any of the candidates sort of questioning the structure of the pension funds. Can the city afford indefinitely to have divine benefit pension funds that haven't existed in the private sector in in 40 years now. So, you know, independence of a person's particular uh, management strategy is good. Independence of what what is the framework and the goals here might be better. And, and something that some of these uh, candidates uh, might offer and some might not. Mm-hmm. All right, let's dig into this field here. It's a large field on the Democratic side, highly competitive, a bunch of current office holders, then some uh, some folks from outside government who a couple have raised a good bit of money, a couple have uh, some serious expertise in the in the field, but probably a very, very long road to, to try to make any real noise when the voting happens here. Um, but just to just to highlight one point, you know, that that you got at Jeff um, when you said, you know, we shouldn't deny that, you know, the people who are controller run for mayor. That's that's one thing I've been saying through this this race a little bit is that unless you over politicize the office, the motivation to do a really good job as controller and hold the you know, the mayor's feet to the fire to Nicole's point and show your independence you know, can work out pretty well for, for New Yorkers. So, you know, that is an interesting question among this field is who is per- potentially looking, you know, to use this as a stepping stone. But when when it's probably a fact that any of them elected will eventually look at running for mayor, you know, it's really about that uh, question of who do you trust to be independent? Who do you trust to not over-politicize the role? Who do you trust to manage the office well, make good decisions and so forth? Um, all right, Jeff, let's not run through every single candidate, but who's, who do you consider sort of the, you know, the top contenders here? And then I can, I can fill in the rest of the field. Sure. I'll give my, my basic rundown. Uh, city council speaker, Corey Johnson, uh, certainly has to be the top of the list. He has led, uh, the little bit of public polling that we've seen, which I don't want to put too much stock in, but he's led the public polling. He has the most money on hand by far of any candidate and uh, probably the best name recognition, or at least close to it, uh, because he served four years as city council speaker and actually a pretty high-profile one as that, who was you know, looking mm-hmm. to run for mayor before this. Uh, he's considered uh, to be you know, somewhat of a progressive, but I think his, he's uh, definitely gotten a lot of criticism from the city's most left-left in recent years uh, because he's packed uh, a little bit, you know, I guess he hasn't followed exactly what uh, the left has been calling for. He hasn't been quite as aggressive as, say, a Brad Lander, who's also running in this race and is definitely running as the most progressive candidate in the controller field. He has been running lots of TV ads with support from uh, just a murderous row of progressives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Elizabeth Warren. And it's it's been, you know, he's certainly uh, running in that lane, uh, also has a lot of lot of money on hand. Uh, there are two uh, state senators, Brian Benjamin and Kevin Parker, 
they both uh, have a personal affinity for each other, which I've said many times. Both uh, both black senators from real electoral powerhouses, uh, Kevin Parker in Harlem. Sorry, uh, Kevin Parker in Central Brooklyn, Brian Benjamin in Harlem. Uh, Benjamin has definitely been running a stronger campaign with with lots of support from county parties, elected officials, a lot of labor unions. Uh, Kevin Parker has been running a pretty underwhelming campaign, so I would say Benjamin uh, has the edge there. Although they both do have similar backgrounds, having uh, you know being state senators and also having some experience in money management uh, with investment firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are some leading candidates, and there's also Michelle Caruso Cabrera former CNBC uh, news anchor who ran against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the Democratic primary last year, ran a real anti-socialist campaign, you know, saying that AOC was way too far to the left. She's now running in the Democratic uh, uh, forum, or the Democratic uh, primary for Comptroller, um, emphasizing that, uh, look, she was a financial journalist. She knows how to look through a balance sheet and, and have this experience. You know, personally, I wouldn't trust myself running for mayor just because I've covered the mayor's race. But to be fair, she had a much longer and more storied career at CNBC mm. than than I have had. So I, I think right. that's oh, and David Weprin, I should say. David, David Weprin, yes, there. Jeff, you don't want to you don't want to uh, provoke David Weprin's wrath here. Exactly, Weprin. <laughs> David Weprin uh, has actually had uh, a pretty strong campaign. He's got a lot of a uh, lot of outside support. Um, he certainly has years of experience on the city council, the assembly. He's currently an assembly member um, and, you know, really could be. Uh, I mean, he's look, he's notoriously boring. He says that in his own TV ads, but uh, he could be, you know, a potential sleeper for, for people looking for a, a steady hand and a name that they know. So, right. I and think he's, that's kind he's of the top certainly here. cleaning up the um, endorsements in his native Queens. He's run for controller before he's kind of running in a more moderate uh lane here you know got the endorsement of the police police benevolent association for example you know certainly um you know looking to sort of just uh appeal to those who want a steady hand in the office someone with experience not too much of a agenda so i'll also add you know to the list of the field zach iskell a military veteran a nonprofit executive entrepreneur who was running for mayor for a little while has a strong network uh, where he's able to raise a good bit of money. So he's definitely uh, in the mix a bit, uh, could make some noise, very, you know, strong presence in interviews and forums and, you know, has been clearly studying up and learning his stuff. And then I mentioned, you know, there's a couple of people with some really strong experience, but who are not politicians and haven't raised a lot of money. And that's Reshma Patel and Terry Lipton, both very interesting. I've interviewed both of them. They know their stuff uh, very well, but, uh, you know, a very tough road for them to make a lot of noise politically. Um, So, Nicole, what are you hearing and not hearing, you know, sort of headlines? What are some things that this field seems to be focused on that sounds pretty good to you? What are you not hearing from them? Or what are some of the highlights and lowlights of what you've been hearing so far? Well, I mean, I guess the first challenge is just to try to generate any headlines, you know, apart from the the, the, the more uh, trade press, very hard to break into the, the mainstream uh, press, even the New York Times, with much attention to this race. So I think that's the first challenge, which certainly uh, helps people like Corey Johnson and Brad Lander and David Weprin, who have spent years building up name recognition against people like uh, 
like like uh, Zach Iskell. But I think one striking thing is that both Benjamin and Parker, they have in their top three priorities, they want to use the controller's office to try to hold the police accountable. Uh, Parker said he wants to use it to uh, restore faith in law law enforcement and uh, Benjamin um, focused on police accountability and public safety. And this actually is a place where the controller's office, it's one of the only places where he or she actually has the last word and that the controller has to sign off on every single financial settlement uh, that arises from a lawsuit that New York City enters into. If the controller does not sign off on police settlements, they won't happen. That's very different from almost anything else that the controller does. So it would be kind of interesting to see what what an aggressive controller would do with that in terms of do they look into why the city just routinely settles uh, police uh, brutality and, and police wrongdoing cases really without looking into the merits. I mean, that seems like a case of the worst of both worlds, that we're settling cases that we probably shouldn't have settled, and we're settling cases where it should go much further than that and, and result in the officers uh, being disciplined or, or fired. So that's just a, a striking thing, whereas... Uh, uh, Johnson and Lander, even though they they are certainly known as progressive, they're they're clearly pushing this as a jumpstone to different office and talking mostly about COVID recovery, uh, you know, rebuilding a strong, fair economy. I mean, that that sounds good. But again, there's almost nothing the controller does that has to do with the day to day decisions New York City makes in terms of how we recover from COVID. Mm hmm. Jeff, what are some differences in the field if we, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to call our voters and listeners here uh, thinking too much on people to, you know, really make their own decisions. So, you know, it's, it's tough to sort of narrow things down to a, a top tier, but just in terms of sort of differences you're seeing in the field, Nicole hit on a couple of them. Are there other things you're hearing from these candidates or are there ways that they're, you know, trying to assemble coalitions of voters, endorsements that you can sort of help people understand, you know, how this field is sort of breaking down? Yeah, absolutely. I, I alluded to it a little bit before that uh, Lander is probably the most clearly ideological candidate, City Council Member Brad Lander, who has mm-hmm. uh, just the lion's share of progressive endorsements, including like the Working Families Party and organizations like Our Revolution and Make the Road Action, as well as a lot of elected officials. Uh, You know, notably, this is somewhat of the same coalition that uh, Scott Stringer had coming into office. And, you know, he has defined himself as a a proud progressive. So I I would suppose if somebody is looking to uh, kind of continue the office in some ways, as as Stringer has has had it, uh, Brad Lander is, is certainly an option. Uh, Corey Johnson probably has the lion's share of labor union endorsements. Uh, of course, part of this might be because he's currently the city council speaker and has a lot of right. a lot of power. And you know, unions want to be uh, aligned with him. But uh, you know, that that certainly will will help him as election day comes nearer. And you know, eleven ninety nine and thirty two BJ DC thirty seven as they kind of hit the streets and and spread his name. Um, to their to their members and and also just uh, more broadly, especially if they start spending 
uh, independent expenditure uh, money, you know, putting, which is just, I mean, you can really spend millions uh, there when you're kind of spending outside the campaign. And I think uh, Johnson might be, might be the recipient of, of some of that. Um, and then, as we mentioned, look, David Weprin is running definitely a more uh, politically conservative campaign. It, it, it is funny talking about this because it's unclear exactly how these politics manifest in the controller's office. Right. As we mentioned, it's, it's more about, you know, opposition to the, the mayor, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, as it is a political role. Um, you know these these positions are are important, and well, yeah, we've seen some of that in terms of div- di- you know pushing divestment of of public pension funds. Um, obviously, you know as Nicole mentioned, this is not where you have a state controller who has a lot more say. There are the pension boards at play. Um, there's a lot you know a lot that has to happen before a city controller can kind of push push an agenda. Um, but we've seen it a little bit, uh, I suppose, with the push to divest. Um, some of the pension fund uh, investments from fossil fuel companies. There's been some of that talk with private prisons. And I suppose it does also come back to which agencies are you really trying to focus on for, you know, your more aggressive audits or your more consistent audits. Like I said, Scott Stringer, you know, really uh, had a focus on NYCHA, it seemed. Uh, Brian Benjamin is clearly pledging to really look more closely at the NYPD. Um uh, Nicole, are there other ways that you think about, you know, sort of how a perspective, you know, matters in terms of of ide- ideology when uh, someone is elected to this role? Do you have war- warnings for voters about uh, anybody who could really mess things up uh, coming into being controller with the wrong sort of set of ideas? Yeah, I mean, certainly you're right that you can you can get a spotlight on the things that you choose to study. So the the controller has a high-level uh, role there in saying, I want to look into something that nobody has looked at before. I mean, an example of, of Stringer doing that was with his Airbnb study. I mean, he, he actually changed the debate over Airbnb in documenting that, yes, indeed, it was taking tens of thousands of, of units off the housing market, and it was enough to move the rental uh, prices in, in certain high-profile neighborhoods. So that's an example of uh, a, a creative approach to auditing uh, that you could certainly do in, in other fields as well. I mean, I think one of the, uh, one of the biggest issues is contracting. I mean, the contract part of the budget is one of the most opaque parts of the budget when it comes to uh, how many people work for contractors, what are they supposed to be doing versus what they're actually doing, what's their performance, what are they paid compared to either public sector workers or other people in the private sector. Uh, that And, of course, the controller also uh, sets the prevailing wages for contractors with mm. uh, contracts uh, with the city. Uh, so, you know, I think that's a place where a controller can make a, a real difference in delving much more deeply into the contracts that the next mayor signs, whether it's for homeless services, uh, in terms of not just, you know, it, of course, fraud and abuse are very important as as the controller and as uh, as various media have documented in, in, in homeless services. But what is the outcome that we are trying to achieve 
if we have a homeless shelter, for example, but uh, there there is lots of negative behaviors outside of the homeless shelter in terms of drug abuse and quality of life offenses, is that a shortfall of the provi- provider in failing to supervise the, the residents? I mean, there's a lot that can be done here that strays just from contractor illegality, but how are they performing relative to what is the city's goal? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jeff, politically speaking, um, Corey Johnson comes in with a lot of money, a lot of name recognition. You know, he was obviously sort of plotting a, a run for mayor for a while before he just, he, you know, had some mental health struggles that he was very open about and decided not to pursue that route, then declared for controller. He's clearly the front runner. Every every of the limited polling we've seen has him well ahead. Um, he's got all that money. He's got all the union support you mentioned, but there's a lot of voters undecided in any of these polls we've seen. This race is obviously lacking for attention. What's this going to come down to? What shoes are going to drop here in the final weeks? What are you watching for? Right, and the undecided is a good point. All the polls I've seen have something like 50% of voters undecided. So, you know, mm-hmm. this very much could change. I think the, the race is, is up in the air in many ways. Uh, look, I, I've been watching some TV lately with the NBA, and it's mostly mayoral candidates that are on air and, and you know, uh, outside uh, PACs that are supporting mayoral candidates. You kind of got to work hard if you want to find out about the the controller race. So I think largely what this is going to come down to is spending in in the final few weeks. You know who can get their mm-hmm. name out there, who can who can have a closing message to uh, convince uh, voters that that they're the the right choice. Um, it is possible that there you know could always be a, a an October surprise. They'll say you know a, a story in the last couple of weeks. I know that. Uh, Speaking as a journalist, you know, the, the knives are out among the candidates. They're trying to spread information about their opponents. Um, Brad Lander has been doing so very openly about Corey Johnson, really attacking right. him for not moving the bills he wants in the city council. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating race to watch in the next. I mean, look, uh, early voting starts on June 11th, and some absentee voters have already mailed in their ballots. So uh, right. we really right. are already well, in the midst of this. We were talking about how uh, not too long from when we're talking right now, there will be the second televised Democratic mayoral primary debate. There's going to be a couple of televised controller primary debates. So folks will hopefully tune in for those. I'm not counting on super high viewership there, but hopefully those debates will at least help clarify things for some viewers. Uh, and I suppose we're waiting for potentially, you know, some more endorsements in the race, including from uh, perhaps the New York Times editorial board and the other papers, um, you know, could be interesting. And uh, and hopefully uh, conversations like this and, and others are pushing people to pay attention to this very important primary, because uh, when we do the mayoral race again in four or eight years, uh, whoever wins this controller race will probably be part of that. So it's important to <laughs> to promote someone who, who will then be in the mix uh, even more. Thank you both uh, for joining me. Nicole Gelinas, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, Jeff Colton, a political reporter at City and State New York. Thank you both. My pleasure. All right. And thank you for listening. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I will talk to you next week.